Today we're going to be looking at a passage from Ezekiel chapter 37. And the title for my message today is Don't Hold Your Breath. Don't Hold Your Breath. For those of you who don't know me, as Angie said, my name is John, part of the team here at C3. And I feel really honored to be able to share the Word of God with you this morning. And when I first knew I was going to have this opportunity, I started to think and pray, God, what is it that you'd have me share today? And I felt this passage from Ezekiel chapter 37 came into my mind. And I knew I had a few months to prepare, so I thought, well, what should I do in preparation? So I decided I would read the whole book of Ezekiel. I'd read passages and chunks of Ezekiel before, but I'd never read concurrently the whole way through. Let me say this, what a call that turned out to be. Because in places, Ezekiel is pretty heavy going. If you're unfamiliar with the context, it is this. The Israelites who represented God's chosen people had been living lives that were so far apart from what God said was right. They had been worshiping other gods and God allows them to be taken into captivity. The Babylonians come against the city of Jerusalem and they attack and conquer and they carry away a first wave of captives. And among them is a man called Ezekiel. And when he's in Babylon on his 30th birthday, he's called by God and he starts to have these visions and prophecies from God for Israel and the surrounding nations. And he delivers some pretty graphic and wild visions uh, to illustrate the results of living a life aside from God. It's pretty tough stuff. I'll, I'll give you a little flavor. Ezekiel 7, for instance, verse 6 says this, The end has come. The end has come. It has roused itself against you. See, it comes. Doom has come upon you, upon who you who dwell in the land. The time has come. The day is near. There is panic, not joy, on the mountains. It's not really your greetings card verse, is it? I have a little daughter, six months old nearly. She's called Ellen. And one of the things I really enjoy doing with Ellen is I enjoy reading to her. And she's got different books. She's got one of them is a, a children's picture Bible, first picture Bible, full of beautiful pictures and just short bits of text. It's safe to say the visions of Ezekiel don't feature very heavily in her picture Bible. But why have I talked about context this morning? I believe in order to understand the transformation that goes on in the passage we're going to see, we first need to understand the situation. Because when we understand the situation of what's happened before in the book of Ezekiel, we see just the power of God's grace demonstrated in such a real way. We see how God, despite in the middle of these prophecies of death and destruction, God still promises hope and restoration. And I believe it's important for us to grasp the situation. I just want to pull three things from the story this morning. And as I've prepared around this passage, I've been inspired in some of my thoughts by a preacher I heard from Stephen Furtick. And in Ezekiel chapter 37, let's read in verse 1. It says, The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. 
And it says Ezekiel was set down in this valley and was caused to see this vision. And God asked him what I like to call the impossible question. Can these bones live? If you're a guy in the room today, you might be able to appreciate this impossible question, particularly if you're in a relationship. Let me explain how it goes in my marriage. My wife, Hannah, will come to me. Love my wife very much. It's okay. You don't need to R. My wife, Hannah, comes to me, and she's holding an article of clothing. Further complicated by the fact that she's owned this piece of clothing for several years, or several months, sorry, already. And she'll say, John, do I look good in this top? In that moment, I've got two options, and neither are that attractive, if I'm honest. Tell the truth or lie. If I lie, my wife knows me very well now. She's pretty good at seeing through my deceit, and she's pretty mad. If I tell the truth, that just equals certain death. It's the impossible question. And God asked Ezekiel, can these bones live? I believe everything he sees is shouting back at him, no chance. Shouts back, no chance. He says these bones were dry. They were very dry. There was no skin on them. There was no bone marrow. There were no tendons. They were just dusty bones. What he looks at is very dry. Yet despite having prophesied for the previous pretty much 35 chapters about death and destruction, Ezekiel answers, Lord, you know. I don't believe this was a clever play on words Ezekiel was trying to wriggle out of the question. I believe this was small, significant faith in the face of immeasurable doubt. The circumstances look so impossible, yet he answers, Lord, you know. I believe Jesus describes this as faith the size of a mustard seed. In Matthew 17, verse 20, it says, Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, Move from here, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. And I just want to start by encouraging some of you this morning, because I believe that some of you feel like all that you can manage today is a Lord only you know. You don't feel like you have the faith to jump up on your chair and say with 100% certainty, Lord, I know that you can transform this situation miraculously. But I believe God sees your Lord only you know. That small faith in the middle of overwhelming doubt. I believe God sees tiny faith amongst overwhelming doubt. In Hebrews 11, it says this. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in days of old earned a good reputation. By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command. So that we, what we see now did not come from anything that can be seen. Faith is confidence in what we cannot see. What could Ezekiel see? Just bones, just bones, dry bones. But faith, faith enabled him to see beyond. 
I wonder what informed Ezekiel's small, significant faith. Well, Ezekiel, it says, was training to become a priest. And at the age of 30, when he actually is called by God and starts to see these visions, he would have gone to the temple and been ordained, as it were, as a priest. And for someone who was preparing to become a priest, he would have been very familiar with the Torah, with the first few books of the Bible, which were passed on orally at that stage. He may even have memorized them off by heart. And I can't help but think that he would have seen the similarities between the vision which God shows him and God's creation acts in Genesis 2. It says in Genesis 2 that God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. You see, if God has done it once, he can do it again. If God has done it once, he can do it again. So though Ezekiel was looking at so much doubt, so much things that in his situation that shouted there is no possibility of transformation, I believe if he's, if he's informed by the belief that God has done it once, that allows a small faith to rise in us to say God can do it again. I ask this question to myself and I ask it to you as well. I wonder what's informing our perspective today. What are we looking at? Are we just looking at the struggle that we're facing, the things that are right in front of our face? Or are we looking to a God who says, I can do amazingly more than you ask or imagine? What's informing our perspective? And the first blank in your notes is speak to the bones. Speak to the bones. And in verse 4, it says, Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know I am the Lord. Prophesy to these bones. That word prophesy comes from the Hebrew word, and don't judge my pronunciation, it's nabah. It means to speak in the power of the Spirit. I wonder why, why did God ask Ezekiel to speak to the bones? I believe it's because our words create. Our words are powerful. You know, when our words are aligned with God, they're infinitely powerful. Our words are powerful. And Ezekiel is told to prophesy to these bones, to speak the power of God into the situation. You know, our words are creative. And you might look, be like me, and you might look at your life and say, in certain areas, you're not creative. There are certain areas which I can say with a confidence in my life, which I am not creative. I'm not creative when it comes to interior design, how a room should be laid out and colors and that sort of thing. Not creative in that way. I'm not creative when it comes to fashion. Uh, wearing black and white today, if you hadn't told. In fact, another thing I quite like to do with my daughter Ellen is I quite like to dress her. At six months old, she has some really fun outfits. They are creative, they are bright, people are really generous in buying her clothes, which is awesome. And I will sometimes dress her in the morning before I go off to work. And I will go there and I'll start to 
pick out an outfit for her. But what I've had to learn is that experimentation doesn't always equal creativity. <laughs> because once I've dressed Ellen, I have to take her out and she has to face the mummy test. She has to see whether this is suitable for Ellen to be revealed to the world in my creation. But sometimes we can take this too far. And we can start to bandy around this term, I am not creative. We slap it as a label right across our life. And I want to say wrong. Wrong. We're all creative. We're made in the image of God who is the creator. By our very definition, by our very DNA, by our very makeup, we are creative. If by nothing else, our words are creative. God spoke, and there was light. God spoke, and there was land. God spoke, there was animals. God spoke, and there was breath. Words are creative. And this got me thinking as I was looking at this passage of another story in the Bible. And that's the story of Paul and Silas in prison. The story goes that Paul and Silas were preaching in this town. And as they preached, they met this young girl who was demon-possessed. And they met her day after day, and one day, Paul cast the demon out of this girl, and she is set free. But her masters, because she was a slave girl, were pretty angry. Because that demon had been giving her some form of psychic powers, she was foretelling the future, and they were exploiting this for their gain financially. They saw that their way of making money had gone away. And they were angry with Paul. They whipped up the town. They false accusations. They were beaten, thrown into prison in the inner cell. The inner cell. When we read that story, I think we just say it as if it's just a little cupboard in the back of the house or something. The inner cell, they were bound in complete darkness, probably. Scholars say those cells were almost completely dark, far too hot, far too cold. They wouldn't have been able to get up off their back. They would have been lying on the parts that they were just beaten on, potentially in their own excrement, the inner cell. And it was midnight. Pick the story up in Acts 16, verse 25. It says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. About midnight. You see, Paul and Silas had decided that Despite their situation, despite probably one of the worst situations we can possibly imagine, they were going to speak to their situation. They were going to praise God. They were going to worship him. They were going to say, God, no matter what happens here tonight, you deserve the glory. They decided that their words were not going to be a commentary on their situation, but they were going to be a command to it. They weren't just going to expand on what they were facing with commentary, they were going to speak creatively to it. And then it goes on to say, and the other prisoners were listening. I wonder what would have happened if, instead of speaking to their situation, Paul and Silas had started listening to their situation. If they had started to listen to the other prisoners, Listen to the pain, listen to the hopelessness, listen to the anger, the frustration. You know what, today I don't believe there's any neutral ground. In our lives, 
I believe we're either going to speak to our world or we're going to listen to it. There's enough voices going on in our head. There's enough information we are bombarded with. And if we're not going to speak to our world, speak to our situations, we're going to end up listening to them. There's no neutral ground. And I want to encourage you to speak because your words have power. Speak creatively. About four years ago, I remember hearing Steve preach, and he quoted Martin Lloyd-Jones, the Welsh preacher. One of the few quotes that I've heard a preacher use that has stuck with me, I always come back to it. And Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself. Most of your unhappiness in life is because you are listening to yourself, not talking to yourself. And I'm not just talking about giving yourself a little pep talk. I'm talking about what we sung about this morning, declaring, I know who he says I am. I know who God is, who is my God. I know the power that comes when I declare the power of God to my situation. There's power in a word. And second point in your notes, speak to the breath. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise, a rattling sound. And the bones came together, bone on bone. And I looked, and tendons of flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them. But there was no breath in them. And he said to me, prophesy to the breath, son of man. Say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. They're not just bones anymore. Things are beginning to look a bit better in this story. They're now bodies. Bone has come on bone. Flesh has covered them, their tendons, their skin. But you know what? They're still just as dead. They're no less dead than they were a minute ago. Things look good, but they're still just as dead. There's no breath in them. You know what I'm fearful of in what I believe is the right sense of the world? Is that my life will just be a body. I'll have a nice, tidy Christian life that looks good on the outside, but has no breath. There's no power. There's none of God's spirit working within me. There's nothing that is within me that causes me to speak out to my world, to bring God's message of hope, of restoration, of salvation. A body without the breath. That word breath comes from the Hebrew word ra. And it's the same word that is used for wind, breath, spirit. And God, you know, I don't believe is looking to build an audience. It's, you know, we want to see many people come into church because we want to see many people saved. But I don't believe God is just looking to build an audience. I believe God is looking to build an army. Not of death and destruction, but an army that's going to bring his message of hope and restoration to a world that is dying and hurting and going to a lost eternity. But I believe if we're going to avoid just being an audience today, we need the breath of the Spirit to enter us. It says, come breath from the four winds. You know, we need to breathe in. Breathe in in the presence of God. 
Breathe in. Not just occasionally, not just now and again when things have got so bad that we think we ought to take a quick, but regularly. Not just on a Sunday morning where we take a quick, and run desperately. Next Sunday. We need to breathe in regularly in the presence of God. We need to take in the breath of the Spirit so that we can breathe out. You know, nothing is going to change our lives like when we start to regularly spend time in God's presence. Nothing's going to start to transform our lives like when we take time regularly in the Spirit of God. You know, in my role here at C3 as discipleship pastor, one of the things that fills me with the most joy is maybe when I see someone and I share in a little bit of their story. I'm privileged to know some of the circumstances they're facing. And I see them on a Sunday morning with arms raised high in worship. I see fruit of the Spirit in their lives which shows that they have been digging in to spending time with God despite their struggle. They have chosen to breathe in the presence of God, even in the midst of their struggle. We need to breathe in. You know, when the Spirit comes in, potential is limitless. It says in Acts chapter 2 that the disciples, Pentecost, waiting in the upper room. And then the wind of the Spirit came and it blew through that room and they were filled with the, tongue, with the Spirit and tongues of fire rested on their heads. They breathed in in God's presence. And as they breathed in the Spirit of God, they went out that day and 3,000 people came to know Jesus Christ. When we breathe in in God's Spirit, potential is limitless. But you know what? We can't just breathe in, in, in. You can try it. Let's have a little experiment here this morning. Doesn't work, does it? And as it is in the natural, so it is in the spiritual. For once we have breathed in, it's time to breathe out. And your last blank is speak to the people. Then you, my people, verse 13, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live. I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. You see, God didn't design us just to breathe in, in, in. He designed us that once we took a breath in, we were ready for a breath out. When we breathe in, we are ready for a breath out. As I look across the room this morning, I believe there will be those of you who look at situations and circumstances in your life and you're looking at something and you feel like it's dry bones. Dry bones in your health. Dry bones in your marriage. Dry bones in your family. 
dry bones in the promises you thought God had given over your life. And I want to encourage you this morning that while you might be looking at dry bones, hey, you might even be thinking that actually my whole life is just a pile of dry bones. While you're looking at a pile of bones, God is looking at a pile of potential. While you are looking at a pile of dry bones, God is looking at a pile of potential. He is looking at something which when his power of his spirit comes, he can transform for his glory. And the power of what God can do is exciting. I hope you feel excited this morning. And as I finish, I feel that I have to share one other thing. Because although I know that God can transform your circumstance, can take something that feels dead and bring it back to life, I don't think he promises that he's necessarily going to take away the struggle. I feel it'd be wrong of me to give you that impression today. I believe he can transform, but there still may be an element of struggle. You know, maybe he will take it away, but maybe he won't. But what I believe he certainly wants to do is transform our mindset. Transform our mindset so that we can say with the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul said he had a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what it was, but it was a struggle for him. He says, I prayed three times, God, will you take it away? And yet God said to him this, uh, 2 Corinthians 12, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, I am strong. God didn't take it away, but God transformed it. He gave Paul the grace for his struggle. Thanks, band. And you might say, well, John, how can you be so certain? How can you be so certain? This sounds great in theory, but how can you be so certain? The only reason I can be certain is because of the testimony of God's goodness in my own life. You see, I have stood, and I would get down, but I I won't for time's sake. I stood, it was probably somewhere over this corner about six years ago in the old C3 center. This building wasn't even here. I was going through one of the most difficult struggles of my entire life. You know, darkness had really gripped my heart, and for a whole number of reasons, I was in a struggle. And it had been going on for over a year, and I remember in that moment, we stood in a midweek service, and I've never heard the voice of God audibly. But it was as clear as anything I can think of, a thought came into my mind, which I believe was God speaking. He said, John, I was stood there saying, God, what's going on? I don't understand. I don't know what's going on. I might have looked all right worshiping on the outside, but in my heart, I was so distracted. And he said, John, will you worship me despite your struggle? And I'd love to say, I responded, I did respond. I lifted my hands and I gave God the best of my worship despite what I was facing. And I'd love to say, I walked out that night and everything was like bang and everything disappeared and it's been great ever since. 
God has transformed. My life is different. The fact that I'm stood up here preaching today is testimony to that. But there's still elements of the struggle there. I believe sometimes we think, God, will you break me out? We're asking, we're praying for God to break us out. God, break me out. I think we need to change our prayer and start saying, God, will you break in? Because when God breaks in, he may choose to break you out, but he may choose instead to give you the grace you need to face your struggle as well, so that he can take your struggle and use it mightily as a testimony for his name. What you used to look at as very dry, as impossible, God can use to bring his message of hope. And while this passage, I believe, has a personal application, I believe it really has an outward action. And as I finish, I'm closing, don't worry. I want to encourage you, C3, don't hold your breath. Don't hold your breath. You know, it says the whole world awaits the manifestation of the sons of God. There is a world that is empty, that is hurting, that is dying. There's a world that is full of dry bones. Don't hold your breath, C3. It's time to breathe in in God's presence. It's time to breathe in in his presence. And once we have breathed in by the power of his spirit to breathe out to our world, are we going to be prepared to pick up the power of revival? Are we going to be prepared to pick it up and carry it into our work, into our family, into our relationships? Are we prepared to breathe creatively, to breathe in the power of God and speak revival? C3, I want to finish this morning, and I just want to encourage you, don't hold your breath. Don't hold your breath. It's time to raise the praise. It's time to worship God and declare that no matter what I face, God, you are worthy. It's time to raise our voice and breathe in in his presence. It is time to lift the name of Jesus high.